So, hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. Um, it's been a while since we've had a guest, hasn't it? It has, it's been a few episodes at least anyway. For sure. But this week we've got, or this bi-weekly, as we've kind of dropped it, we've Aye. got um, Paul Morris. Um, how are you doing, mate? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. Not at all, mate. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. No problem. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to talk about Angry Young Men, which is a movie that you've you've worked on. But, I mean, I read through your press pack and... I think what jumped out to and me. By bef- the way, easily the most detailed press pack we've ever got. So was thank you good? for that. <laughs> I was worried about it. It was my first time doing it, but I was like, no, no. Usually we get like a slide with somebody's name and their email address on it, like a picture, right. and you're like, right, cool, we'll work that out for ourselves. But no, yours was like, here it is. Like, Comprehensive, <laughs> but see, to be honest, I was saying to Matt when we came in, see, considering what I read, it doesn't surprise me that it's. Oh, aye. The quite draft you've put in like, at this point is incredible, man. Mm-hmm. We'll get yeah. to that obviously as we go, you know what I mean? But I like what jumped out to me and what I'd want to start on really was just like the journey that, that you've went through, sort of personally, to get this fucking thing made, mate. Like, was it 2016 you started? No, I started writing 2016. I made a short version of it um, that was going to maybe be like a wee series or something. But then I thought I'd be making shorts and sketches for a wee while. I think it's like 2013, been making sketches with similar crowd, most of the same boys that are in the film. And uh, I'd always thought about a feature, but I just thought it kind of technically was a lot involved, so I probably wasn't confident there. Uh, but then 2016 started writing, since so we're going to do it, do it now, and started writing through 2017. Then by middle 2018, it was finished, and then started shooting from there. And then right up until I think the last thing we shot was middle of this year, and then that was it wrapped, and then been editing sort of ongoing since the start of the year as well. So it's been uh, like five years all in. So it's been a, a long time. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a pure labour of love material, isn't it? Like. I mean, I, I was, uh, when we spoke about it on the Twitter feed, my first, uh, I've seen, obviously, we've been following each other a while, uh, both on sort of personal and sort of Rebel City accounts, and I, I was quite interested because, you know, I'd seen the artwork with the, the balaclavas, and, you know, there was quite a, a lot of buzz around, you know, a lot of the people that I follow, you know, just through the podcast and, you know, in a wider sort of Glasgow sense, felt like the trailer dropped and, like, everybody was like, look at this sort of thing. And I was kind of the same where, you know, looking at it, I was like, this is, it, it, it looks, uh, my, when I was saying to him, I was like, something looks like Mad Max with the schemes. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I was like, this is interesting, man. Like, I'm really looking forward to getting into this. Um, but I, five years to that point is like, must have taken a lot of fucking discipline, man. It was, but it's, it's one of those things, you do, you know, it's yourself and it ends over a long time, I think. It's not because to, to prove a point or anything, you're sort of chasing one thing and then you've invested so much that you're you're into it. So it's like you write the script and you've got a scene you like, so it's like keep pushing forward to make the rest of it good enough. And then when you're shooting as well, you've got this scene you like and you're like, if I can get this, all this shot in a similar fashion, it's like that's pretty good. I'm pretty pleased with that. So it's almost like that keeps spurring on the next thing because if you stand too far back, if I'd known five years would be involved, I'd be like, I don't know, it's a, it's a little... A long journey that's ahead of you. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was a wee guy, and my mum and that were going like a fun run. I think I was like five or something. I've never been athletic or sporty, but they're going a fun run. It's at Strathclyde Park, and I'm running up and I'm like hyped and everything. We're coming in the corner, and you see the the width of Strathclyde Park, and I was like, "Is that the full size? Are we running all that?" And they said, "Aye." And I just packed it in straight there and waited for them to come back. <laughs> and I think that'd be the same thing if I'd known. Maybe not, but uh, I just kind of thought, right, this will be good if we can get it done. I thought maybe shoot every weekend. And there's maybe like 20 scenes. If we could do that every weekend mm-hmm. on the weekend, we'll be fine. Get it done in a year. But then 
I think I mentioned that in the press pack. It's like things come up and trying to get availability for everyone as you yep. get as well. It's trying to work your schedule around it. It just it, it, it takes a lot and then you're kind of hanging on to days. But then, like I said, you've got stuff that you do like and that's buzz on the next thing. So it was it was a big task, but it didn't feel like you were in it for five years at the mm -hmm. time. You're just seeing the next step ahead of you, I think. Mm -hmm. So do you think, like, because you get a lot of advice or you hear a lot of advice from people that will be like, you need to plan everything. Everything needs to be quite meticulously planned if you're going to, like, for sure, I think in my mind, if I was, like, ambitious enough to be like, I'm going to make a movie, I'd be like, everything needs to be kind of planned out before I start. So do you think that would have put you off? I think in terms of uh, scheduling, I mean, if you had that planned, if you thought, if I don't make... If I don't have half the film in the can by 2019, if I thought like that, or maybe the end of 2018, then it's like, no, it's, it's done because I'll never do it. If I thought of that, maybe, but in terms of planning, I think you do, especially when you're working people's time, because you might think it's the best case scenario because you're making it over three years, shooting over three years, so you've got all the time in the world to mm -hmm. experiment, but really, you've got lots of time in between, but on the day, you've got very little time because people can give you an hour here, two hours yep. here, you've got them in the morning, so you, you better have, know what you want because you can't experiment. So I did have it all pretty well planned out and it can hurt you as well because you might think oh that sounds poncy but you want to do this in a wide shot and if you go to close-ups it's sort of cheap but sometimes you just need to improvise and say what can i get and that's what kind of got to at one stage because if you just held on to that original idea that everyone needs to be here i need 10 people in every scene then it still would be getting made just now so you do need to adapt but there was mm -hmm. a lot of planning each day in terms of getting what we need and it feels like there's quite a quite a sight even though as you're saying you're, you're pressed back there is as a relatively low budget movie in the grand scheme of things like there does seem to be quite a sizable cast for what i've seen it so far so i mean logistically that must have been quite difficult at times especially with the constraints that you've already worked through you know what i mean i think so i think you know, having such a big core cast as well there was some scenes it was like 30 odd like maybe 40 people in it uh but then having core cast members in like 10 all it takes is one person that puts a spanner in the works and then you're having to rearrange the night before but like I say, you kind of, you get over it and you find a way to make it work. And I think that became part of the challenge. And I suppose that was a bit of, a bit of growth and a bit of dropping the ego from my point of view, but then a, a nice challenge. It was like, so how do you make this interesting with less resources? You already thought you're working with limited resources, but how do you do it with even less and how do you still make it engaging? So, so that became a bit of a challenge for myself, but it's, it is what it is. You just need Aye. to take it on the chin. You can't just like crying about, oh, but I wanted it this way because it's like it wasn't supposed to rain the day, but it is. You get over it. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Aye, it's Scotland day, isn't it? it? You know what I mean? Like, what can you do? You're just going to need to roll with them sometimes. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You think that you could, there was there any sort of point where you kind of tried to make it perfect? or Because it sounds to me like you've became comfortable with no being, you know, like as perfect as what maybe the vision that you've got for it. Like you're saying, you, you get maybe like cost constraints or personnel and you need to just try and make it work. So was that something that you had to sort of work on? Because if I had a creative project like that, I'm terrible, mate. I would strangle the life out of it. I'd be like, it's not perfect. Like, let's keep doing this and let's keep doing that. But like, we've that's for my the, fault, you know. We've already had the conversation about this room before we started. <laughs> aye, so exactly. aye, everything's a process towards perfection with you, aren't I think... I was in terms of what we needed, I knew what we needed because I sat with the script for so long. I knew what, what makes this scene good, what makes it stand out and what makes it as part of the bigger picture. So mm -hmm. I knew the bare essentials uh, and I did work to get that. We did do take after take and some days we didn't make the day. I think we are the biggest sort of compromise, if you want, was how it was going to be shot and how you would run a set. It's like Obviously it's an amateur production, but how you would have people there. 
And for example, if, if we are shooting this way and you've got my shot here, maybe you wouldn't be here until the afternoon and shoot you by yourself. Now that's terrible and I wouldn't want to do that, but we had to at some time because some people could give me the morning and then it's going to hold up another couple of months and we're yeah. not going to shoot again. So I had to do that and it was the odd time. But for scenes that I knew, right, there's a lot of movement in this, so you can't just... Because you could shoot everyone a close-up in random days, do you know what I mean? But that's mm -hmm. not interesting. Like, yeah. so it doesn't do anything. But So I knew here's where we need to like, turn it on. But for certain dialogue scenes, that's where the compromise was. But in terms of the, the film and what I wanted out of it, it's only got better since the script stage. It's better mm -hmm. than what I thought I could shoot. So um, it's improved, that's if awesome. anything else. I think as well, for the, the very little that I've seen it so far, that visual sort of striking element that you're talking about comes not just from, you know, the artwork we were talking about to start with, but even as, you know, looking through the, the, the shoots, uh, the shots of the trailer and stuff, like, there is, a, is quite a colourful thing. But it's, I, I like the contrast that some of what I've seen anyway was set against the backdrop of quite, like, drab schemes and stuff like that. But the actual characters and the way they were interacting was in, there was a lot of colour, there was a lot of, like, it was visually quite striking, uh, a lot of what I'd seen it. But I think having it set against the backdrop of like the you know housing schemes and stuff like that actually almost brings those characters and what they were doing kind of like out even more yeah that you know was I mean? in, that was intentional because i'm forgetting if I, I put this in the pack or not but we were speaking about what well, I, was, I was thinking to myself about before we were shooting it in terms of scottish films and british films and there's a tendency to think it's all kitchen sink or it's all sort of like very like says gray and that's been done amazingly like like rat catcher you wouldn't call a kitchen sink but it is quite bleak in mm -hmm. terms of sweet 16 yeah um red road now these films are like like very poetic yep. so i wouldn't call them like oh they're boring and gray but there was uh i, I didn't want this to be seen as that or seem like this is like the grim reality of living here do, mm -hmm. do you know what i mean because i didn't think it was that it was more about how it felt and then heightening that and making it sort of operatic in its style and that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea i understand that maybe people would want to see like what is it like use real names and use mm -hmm. this and use proper how would they dress but i thought if anything's going to work in our favor it's going to be how you use the camera you've not got the highest end camera so how do you use it for movement how do you tell a story visually and then what do you do with the little you've got and i thought locations that's the main thing like because hamilton it's up high you've got the tunnels the forest you've got a mixed terrain so then how do you then make that how do you bring it out how do you make it special how do you make I it memorable i was i was guessing like sort of lindsay and like kirky and stuff because when i'd seen the video that oh, really? where my f mrs family are fan i was like i did i recognize her but then hamilton makes obviously sort of perfect sense as well you know nah, I mean? that's, so that's they're is. all the same or in you know these places sort of thing like yeah, that's it the satellite towns they kind of all look the same don't they like all merge into one mm -hmm. um so like what what did you use what was the the camera like did you have one camera like what was going on uh, it was a, a sony a7s mark ii which so it's not i mean it depends obviously in cameras you'll know it's that's very very cheap but it was obviously if, if you're not working with any sort of budget it's like prices so it was like i think it was like four grand on for the camera and the lens and the benefits of it that the reason i chose that camera was low light it's great in low light for what we were doing I had a couple of night shoots also the autofocus on that lens so I was the one that was operating. If I wasn't in the scene, I was operating it. And usually you'd have a camera operator and a focus puller, but we didn't have that. So it's like, if you've got something that's good autofocus, auto then you can move. You don't need to worry about that. So it kind of worked that way. And then the Phantom 4 was the drone that we used. So they were the two cameras that, that we used. And that was that really. Right. And have you ever shot in before this? Yeah, I've, uh, I've shot like short film sketches and I've done like corporate stuff, like uh, right. co property and 
like we online ads and stuff like that. So uh-huh. I, I, I know my way about the camera and I've had a, a camera before that. But when I was choosing to upgrade, I kind of had the film in mind and that's that's why I chose it. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's a good camera to be fair, man. I just, I sold one about two months ago. Mm-hmm. I just ended up going for camcorders because it was just top two high like too much going on for it to like shoot in a room didn't need that do you know what i mean but that's crazy man like one sony a7 II and a drone and shot a movie with it, man that's fucking it's pretty impressive and i say what i've seen it is is a good quality and so far and i mean that's part of what drew me to it when i was you know scrolling through and seeing the trailer and was like whoa because i think over the course of the couple of years or so or mel now that we've been doing this we've spoke to um the director of connect who's Mark Maz Edwards Edmonds. Edmonds sorry mm-hmm. my name escaped me there but it's no you know we bump into people writing books all the time we bump into people creating music all the time you know we have a lot of sort of creators on but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people out there like trying this you know what I mean like, so I mean was this just something that you were always going to do was it this is the division was to get a movie out and you know, but you never thought about maybe adapting to like a book or a novel or any of these types of things along the way because it's quite an unusual, you know, thought process. Consi- well, no thought process, but an unusual project for us to encounter. Um, you know, somebody being like, "I'm just, I'm going out there and I'm making a movie." It's quite, mm-hmm. a, quite a bold step. You know what I mean? Like, There's a an Austin Wells quote, and it says, uh, "A poet needs a pen, a painter needs a brush, and a filmmaker needs an army." And I think that <laughs> kind of sums it up because there's so many moving pieces and you do need a huge crew. But when I set out to make this, I kind of knew it's like the the phrase, use the weapons at hand. So what do you have instead of saying we don't have this? We've got a camera. There's been films made on iPhones. Like Tangerine was made on iPhone 5 or something. And fair enough, they had a, a crew and everyone as well and lights. That does make a big difference. But mm-hmm. what we what's the purpose of making the film? Are we making shorts? And the thing about short films is like maybe 20, 30 years ago when everyone was getting shot on film, a short film might be your ticket to get a feature or could launch your yep. career. And it still does. Like Whiplash was a short. I think he made, Damien Giselle made a feature before the short of Whiplash. But really? I think he made like a sort of low budget one. That's um, a phenomenal movie. It's amazing. It's unreal. So that's like a calling card. That you, but now because dig- digital technology, there are more people making shots, so that maybe doesn't stand out as much back in the day when you had to get a camera and film because it was a lot harder to do. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what's something that's, what's big? What could you do that's sort of ambitious and would maybe stand out a bit? And I thought, make a feature, and I had ideas for it. And I thought, and I was kind of confident in myself as a writer, and I thought I could do this if I just put the time in. So it was sort of just, how do you, how do you become a filmmaker, essentially? So I thought, everyone says, how do you do something? By doing it, by uh-huh. practicing. So that, that was really the motivation for it. I mean, everything about it that I've seen and heard so far, it just feels like a pure guerrilla operation, man. Like, and, you know, see similarities in some regards with the content. I know, obviously, um, Angry Young Men is a wee bit more allegorical, a wee bit more metaphorical, and, and, and in some respects, than maybe somebody like, you know, Graham Armstrong, where we're talking about the young team. There's maybe like a bit of crossover in terms of like gang culture and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but what I'd see a lot is the crossover in like your approach to it because when we spoke to graham he was selling cars 95 was coming home was grafting to six seven eight nine ten o'clock at night all weekends and then you know at the end of after four five six years he had this wonderful book that he was able to go and take and then when i see your story i see quite a lot of similarities because in terms of your journey through the sort of production 
you know, I, I know you mentioned the, the the cameras, you know, being like sort of four or so grand, but like, did we did I read that like you basically like punted your own car to afford it or something? Well, that was later on to get the the computer to edit it right. on. So I thought it just kind of worked in well. The higher purchase was up, and my Mac wasn't cutting it, so I just time to sell it, and then and that was it. But obviously, I got another car and everything. But uh, I just everyone was going into film basically any kind of spare cash. I mean, uh, I'm not like. I don't really spend my money much on anything else, so mm-hmm. I thought everyone is going into that, you might as well give it a good punt. But when Graham was on here, it was really interesting. I was listening to that and I, I did see a lot of similarities in terms of the mindset. And he's talked about before he was writing, it's about going to war. He used that terminology, and I thought that that does <laughs> that explosion was extremely well timed for going to war, <laughs> but no, that's just bonfire night. <laughs> but it did make a lot of sense, and he was getting yourself hyped up, and I definitely felt like that, and that's the kind of mindset because I think you know yourself when you're creative and and Scottish and all the rest of it, you don't really shout about what you're going to do and you don't really mm. push yourself forward. So if you do have a creative idea, then it helps to be like, right, no, attack it and yep. get up and get it done. It's not about, oh, if an idea comes to me, it's like, no, military, get up. And I think I put that on the press pack. I was getting up in the morning just to give yourself a sort of psychological edge. It was like, yep. right, are you going to take this serious? It's like, well, take it serious. You're going to do it from here to here and it's going to get done. I think I, I find people who got up early that will like this guy who gets up at like seven o'clock and goes to the gym before he goes to work like that baffles me but i think i was reading you were talking like there was mornings where you're up and writing between like four and eight in the morning and yeah. then actually going to like a full day's work and coming back and you know working again when you come home and like that's a level of dedication that my brain just does not understand <laughs> see, that, I, i'm not either and i'm terrible in the mornings but it was it was almost like that was such a there was such a draw for that. Do you know I mean there was a reason to do it? I wouldn't yep. do it if it was just the case of get up just for the sake of saying I got up at this mm-hmm. time. Um, because obviously yeah, there's a bragging right saying look how like, serious I took it, but really it was because I was so desperate to get it done and I was desperate and I thought how how do I finish this? And that was the only way I could see like like Mike Tyson spoke about get up at that time and went a run because like he knew no one else was doing it. And that's maybe sounds like a bit pretentious to say or you might think a lot of yourself. But I think no. to help yourself if you're sitting at the desk it's and you're you're stressing about it and you've been writing for nights and you're hitting a wall then that we change up can help your routine and that's that's which had this to be done that, i think it's again it's about that dedication we were talking about beforehand because you've obviously went into this huge project and then have got to a point where you know you've had to reassess you know your course of action your approach and stuff like that to make this commitment you know a success on the other side so i think that's a really important thing to actually highlight to people is that if you're heading towards a goal, whether it be creative or otherwise, and you find that you're hitting that wall, maybe it is important to actually take that time to just reassess your approach and see if there's maybe another way that will help you sort of push forward. You know what I mean? Trial and error, it's, you know what I mean? And also really there's no rule for it. Do you mean, get there by any means necessary, do you mean? So Aye. it doesn't, I don't know. I think that's one of the, maybe the stipend things about the academic route about taking maybe writing, I don't know, but for, for definite, I done a short college course, um, I didn't end up finishing it in writing, but it can change your motivation. I think if you do it because you want to get something made and you want to get out there, that changes it compared to if someone says, no, here's how you do it and here's the way, because then you're hitting your head against the wall saying, this method isn't working and this is the done This is the done way yep. you do it. And that can, I think, just throw it out and just say, what's the bottom line here are you getting pages a day are you getting scenes a week are you getting that progress and that's how yeah. you, that's your barometer i think mm-hmm. Aye, man, that's class um how do you keep yourself motivated for five years while you're doing that like most people i talk to will just be like throwing the towel 
especially when you're like having to build PCs or fucking learn how to edit on the fly and doing all these things. Like basically just kind of doing it all yourself. And this isn't it that you just like directed a movie start to finish. This is that you edited a movie, you built your PC to like do that editing process. You know what I mean? Like you've you've I think you were saying you you scored the music and without any sort of musical sort of background. I mean, you've literally been, you know, all fingers in the pie sort of thing at mm. all times. Like, so, like, I, you, there's got to have been times where you've needed to, like, dust off and sort of re-motivate. I think so. I'm trying to think the timeline. So I think writing-wise, you had a few key scenes that came to mind and that motivated you to get the other stuff done and fill in the gaps in the script. And then when it was shooting, it was like, so you've shot these scenes that you're really pleased with and maybe you kind of post snippets out or you show people and that looks pretty good to me and that's mm-hmm. on the line it's like well imagine if i could do this the way this has been done for the rest of the script yep then that's exciting so it's just every step then spurs on the next thing but i don't know i think just the draw of what it could be and potentially do you mean if I, I don't know what the results will be if it will lead to get, getting a becoming a director uh that that was the motivation. I thought if this was something, imagine mm-hmm. you could show people this completed piece and what you think it could be. That was the motivation. Uh, but then there was also like lockdown in between. So that that was difficult. We were rehearsing for like three months with the theatre school and we were ready to go. Because I think it was the first lockdown here, was it like March? Was it before Easter or March something? March 20, it? something like that. Aye, 16th of March or something like that. Aye, that I, think so. I think we were rehearsing right up until that point. We'd booked a school out to shoot in the Easter break, I think it was, and then it got pulled away. Because that's going to be like, the, like the, the very start of the year where you can realistically get out and do like outside shoots and stuff like mm-hmm. that because it's, it's bitter cold. There's, uh, there's no way to trust the weather otherwise, is there? No, and there is there's only certain times you can do that, but that was maybe a bit of a knock, but then what I did was like, well, how can you how can you make the next stage better? And I just started like like four films a day and just kept like trying to expand your, your palette and try to expand what you knew about films and just mm-hmm. try to see immerse yourself so then see when it comes time to shoot again and we can shoot then it's like i've got like so much to draw on you you seem to have like a definitely like a kind of silver line attitude to it because we're asking questions about challenges and what you're talking to us here about is like successes and feeding off those you know individual steps being successful heading towards the other goal and that's something that i've got to say I really appreciate because I'm the opposite of that. Mm. <laughs> we discuss every week how cynical I'm. Oh, really? But it's, I, I love seeing these things and like, um, I probably think we maybe like we've we've danced around the movie a wee bit, but like, what for the audience like broad strokes like what, what is the the movie actually about? So it's set in the fictional town of Mockton. It's a surreal coming of age film, and I would say it blends maybe the sort of typical pattern with like high high I wouldn't say high drama but violence with big action set pieces and maybe some sort of like parable about what it feels like to grow up in Scotland mm-hmm. that's I don't know in terms of plot I don't think it matters as much because I think you'll sit down and you'll watch it but it's focuses on one gang and another gang comes into town as they're a bit older and it's sort of how they deal with that and maybe people early on had plans of leaving the area the town sort of got its grips on them, I think, when they get to that age. And I think it all came from sort of, I don't know how you felt about it. When I was younger, your sort of dream was like to leave and you think America's this great place and you think, oh, that's yep. where it is. But then everyone, I think, feels like that. You sort of love and hate where you're from. And I think it was a combination of that and wanting to leave and how did I feel about it and try to work that out. So 
I suppose that's I don't know if that gives you any more impression, but I think the trailer gives you an idea in terms of tonally that it's a bit of a mix. Yeah. Um and I think it's quite strong and I think it moves well. So I think that's it. I've got to say it is a, a, a you know a, a, a quite a common feeling because I definitely remember growing up and having family in Canada, so you say America, but for me it was Canada that was the big sort of pipe dream way off in the, the distance. And then as you say, you, you get jobs and you get birds and you have kids and you know those sort of roots that you were maybe wanting to avoid one day have, you know, sort of settled before you really had anything to sort of do about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, especially, you know, in sort of working class communities anyway, that's definitely something that I think would be a quite a universal sort of concept and idea. So it's a good, I think, entry for people to engage with. I think also, I think it's a luxury to, oops, sorry, I think it's a luxury to know or ask yourself what do I want to do in my life because I think a lot of people that's so far down the list I think when you're growing up if you've maybe got, got stuff going on at home or you've got this chaotic environment you're not thinking about what's your future going to be you're kind of getting through day by day so when people ask you when you get to a point in your life it's like you see people it's I always knew I wanted to do this and I always had this plan but a lot of people I can I can relate you get to that stage and you're like what the fuck have I been doing man like how how did I get mm -hmm. here or how did this happen yeah like how have I got all these things like it's almost like you didn't have a decision you didn't make a decision in your own journey but I think you do just get caught up in the rhythm of it and, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm I'm very like consider myself very lucky and fortunate I'm, I'm happy with my life but I can just see it and you see people and it's, it's almost like they wouldn't have a valid answer so they'll say what did you want to be and why didn't you stick at it and mm -hmm. you're like because stuff happened to me do you know what I mean and it's also that thing that it's probably silly for us to expect children to understand what they want to do the rest of their lives. Of and it's a weird time. We ask we ask that question of ourselves at the wrong time in life. You know what I mean? Like we're we're asked to plan out what ideas of life when we don't have the first clue about how life works. You know what I mean? Like, no. I think that's something that's quite interesting when you see like the, the difference in some of the age groups and the gangs that you've you've sort of touched on. There is obviously sort of quite young actors mm -hmm. um who I'm assuming are the, the, the people with the, the dreams are maybe getting out one day. Um, and again, there are clearly like older actors that I'm assuming are the ones that come in and, and you know, cause that sort of conflict and, and what else. So I think you'll be able to see that pretty easily in the, in the movie because you have that, not just like ideological conflict, but actual, what I'm assuming will be at one point, at least one or two physical conflicts as well. You know what I mean? Like, but it's, it's hard. That's one of the reasons I sort of stayed away from making it a autobiographical or making it exactly how it was because most people know this, I mean, and if you start telling it to them and I start giving them like this message in a film, then they're like, okay, right, I get it, just entertain me for 90 minutes. So I mm -hmm. tried to get as far away from that as possible, even though that's sort of maybe the through line of the film. But right. uh, it's like, how do you make it engaging and how do you make it that's like, I don't know, maybe at the heart of it without being like, do you know this, by the way? Do you know that this is what happens to you? And look what I know, look how wise I am, because mm -hmm. there's people who have seen it all. But I do think it's a valid point. Like I said, it's more about me working out and where I was at that stage in my life when I was writing it and trying to work that out for myself. But I, who knows? The film is what it is and it speaks for itself, I hope. Mm -hmm. Have you always been like a creative I think, through your life? Like you've always been like a creative type and I think so. do something like this? I think so. When I was um, when I was younger, like my, my dad, uh, like he was a, like a real like film buff and go to... The, blockbuster the library every weekend and get a couple of dvds a couple of vhs and would always be watching stuff but never with the intention like one day i'm going to be a director it was never that mm -hmm. we make like videos with my pals um on like old camcorders and uh, video cameras on the phone when, when that came out 
we always did that, but it was never something you considered. I think that's another thing about asking youngsters, like, what do they want to be? Because maybe someone said, here's a possible route, maybe you would consider it, but I mean, you weren't even aware of half the things that were possible. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. would you consider this? Do you mean, like, stuff you can do when you're older and how you can enjoy your life? You wouldn't even think of that. You think, I don't like, even know the technology that's going to be like when we were at school like in the 90s like if somebody was like you're going to be able to have like three cameras and on a budget mics you would be like no chance no fucking no chance definitely it's like like you're saying we have this really weird sort of structure where we're telling 14 15 year olds to pick because like even when you look at the way that they make you pick your subjects you're either creative or you're no Mm -hmm. you have this very limited amount of time for creativity and then the rest it's all kind of like you must do maths and english and and the rest of it you know what i mean yeah. so you don't even i don't know i, I kind of felt back then that the creative choices were kind of like you don't really want to do them you want to do the sciences and you you know what i mean prioritize these things and if you get a wee creative outlet in there that's good for you do you know what i mean ah, it's like that's how that's good uh, exactly good for you in the sense that that maybe pass your time son but i remember that that was the attitude i remember going to like parents night and uh, i think i wanted to do tech or something uh like, like woodwork and the science teacher was like, oh, to my mum's like, oh, you know, we call that craft and daft, they say. And it's like, you're just like, fucking what chance you got? So I ended up doing like Aye. three sciences. And then by fourth year, I was just sick of school. And I had, my only options were went to the careers advisors, like, do you want to work indoors or outdoors, they were saying. And then that's how they narrow it down. <laughs> but I mean, not, I know I get too heavy, but even if it's not a career point of view, but in terms of even just what, what's possible in your life, the way it was quite limited. And for all like social media might have obvious downfalls that, to see how people will like, spend their time and how they get enjoyment out of life, that, that could give somebody like, a real lifeline when they're younger. So I, I do think I that definitely makes in a good age. sense if you're messing about with mates with camcorders and camera phones that an adult in your life would have went, well, have you ever thought about studying film or whatever it is? And again, that option doesn't always necessarily seem to be there. But I don't think the infrastructure is either as well with some of the other creative outlets we talked about where it'd be writing or music or you know dance or whatever it is. There seems to be you know, clubs and communities where kids can join and learn guitar or kids can join and do creative writing or whatever it is. Like, doesn't it seem to have the same infrastructure around, like, filmmaking and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Is that, do you think that's just something that's specific to Scotland or do you think maybe there's a mere general thing where, you know, it is seen as prohibitive because of how much goes into it? I think because it's so expensive, I think that's one of the main reasons you hear about filmmakers, like Richard Linklater, he's from austin i think that's quite a thriving like hip area now but mm-hmm. he said he felt as far away from hollywood as anyone Just else felt did, like boyhood and stuff like that yep that's right and like dazed and confused and Aye. he's like a brilliant director but he felt so far removed and he's living in america but does do you think he's probably like stays next door when you're a young guy he stays next door to celebrities because he stays in america but it's so vast that i think it is more maybe class than it is national and i think mm-hmm. there's certain places i think like russia had its they've got like financing from the government into films in france i think are the right. same they get proper financing but so they produce artists but if you're to do that here it'd be like what so we're going to pay x amount of your tax money so you can prance about and pretend to be somebody else that, i mean that'd be the attitude and how do you justify it how much did it make last year mm-hmm. how much did they make the year before if you can't give a profit then they're like why are we paying do you mean that's yeah that even a long term you need to make art for the sake of art in that respect no. in this particular industry but then you want to claim your artists when they do well and they do make money. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to claim Nolan and David Lean and all these people and say best of British, but you do need to invest in it. And I just don't think, and obviously we've got a smaller population, but I don't know. I mean, I think if you just had more people getting into it, and I think now, especially with the phones and everything and what you can do with a phone, hopefully there will be more people doing it because it yeah. isn't as expensive as it once was, but it's hard as well because then as 
resources become more available, the less people start doing it. Mm -hmm. You maybe would have thought back in the day when cameras were so expensive and so heavy that as soon as everyone gets a camera phone, we're going to have like 10 uh, Tarkovskis or 10 Austin Wells kicking about like every generation. But as more stuff becomes available, then it's like, there's more choice. So yeah. like people become more mm. apathetic, I think. They're just like, oh, fuck, I could do that, but, no. but this looks in interesting, I, but then I could do that as no, well. Everybody's got a camera while dancing in front of it to, or miming. Like, but I don't want to sound like an old man, right? But it really perplexes me how this trend of playing a song and lip syncing to it on your camera has become so popular. I mean, people have become millionaires through it's doing bad. this well. How do you do it? I don't even know what's going on, but you're, you're right. It's like, the internet was see and technology is seen as this bastion of like freedom and we'll get all these amazing things and it's like we're kind of i don't know man we're all the shit seems to be coming out like and people still like, areas that are quite prohibitive and quite exclusive and i think the film industry is probably you know one of them at least uh -huh. i think so you know i mean i think is I, I do just think that you're so spoiled for choice it's like why would you spend a day writing like it's so it can be so tedious like why would you do that when it's like i can see all these beautiful people dancing about and i'm like oh, but this is like constant dopamine it's like why would i why would i spend that time uh, there it's like why would you and, and i get that it's actually meant to free us has like know. distracted us with these things For that sure, we, might have, that we might have otherwise explored when i'm editing like <laughs> mate it's just my phone's just like gone hello like see when i bounce a video and it comes up like 10 minutes to bounce at a premiere pro and pure 10 sure, minutes yeah. on my phone I know. <laughs> and then sometimes you're there 25 minutes and it's bounced and you're like oh, fuck what was i even doing I know. but it interrupts the flow of work so badly because see if you don't do that and actually move on to doing another task you keep that momentum moving a day in the work see when you remove yourself for 10 minutes you kind of like go cold it's like the sort of it's like a muscle like you you cool down and then you go back to it and you need to warm back up to it, man. It's, I find it ridiculous. See, sometimes if I've got a big edit on, like doing stand-up comedy or something like that, I don't even bring my phone into the room. No, I, can't, I, can't. I can't have it there, man. Like, it's just so distracting. So much lost time as well. What uh -huh. do you gain for it as well? Like, if you have to say it yourself, what did you get out of that? You're like, oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you were saying um, in terms of like your cast was that there was a number of people that you'd worked with previously had like long-standing relationships with. Like, before it all kicked off, was the vision for the movie something that you had sort of shared with them and they were sort of buying into, or was it again about like available resources? I think they're like they're so good for giving up their time, but to give them like it was a quite a long script. Uh, a few of them did read it, but for them, they were just turning up and saying like, "What do you need from me?" Basically, and they were really good. And but I think at the other end of that, I think I mentioned that in the press kit it was like. The initial excitement or the initial sort of like goodwill will help me out massively maybe wore off but it was so many early mornings it was like is this still going on because they didn't know like what i had in my head and like right. what do we need for this day so i i, I did i think some of them did have an idea i kind of gave them wee snippets but they weren't that interested they were just being good friends to me and helping me out and some people like people that were like actors who i'd met or like got in contact with were quite excited about it because mm -hmm. they did read the full script but uh no a lot of them were just giving their time to me and I was trying to keep them engaged, but didn't do a very good job all the time. <laughs> no craft services or anything like that. No, no getting the the five star treatment, unfortunately, no. and and a underpass tunnel in Hamilton. No, no, maybe they should have set their expectations a bit better. But I, whatever. <laughs> um, but I know, fair enough. Do you think mm -hmm. that some of the because I think Matt was saying what, Paul Docks in it. Aye, he's in it. Aye, he was. Do you think, he, do you think some of the sort of social media things will? Um, 
help you sort of promote it. Like it, these people have got so much pull now. Uh-huh. Like TikTok and these we were talk we're just sort of slagging it there, but it's gave ordinary people such a huge platform mm-hmm. to help promote. So if somebody that has tagged on it, then you get an audience. It's definitely kind of crazy on top. And I think it's also having that connection with people and who you can maybe get it in front of and who who can see it. But that it's great having that and. I think I think it's a great tool if you've got because I know he does a lot he does a lot of writing and he films a lot of his comedy and stuff like that so it's like for him it's like the more he gets the more he can show and the bigger his audience gets so yeah. it's amazing uh, so having someone like that is great and I think that's where we I mean traditional marketing in terms of print and all that you're not doing that as all social media yeah so I <clears throat> you just take whatever you can get really aye for sure fucking shite podcast question but what was your favorite movies growing up I mean if your dad was a film buff. The ones I remember, the ones that stood out to me, I remember. I actually seeing, thought about that like ten minutes ago and went, "No, nah. uh, don't ask it." <laughs> the ones I remember like, seeing. I, uh, I remember getting this really old copy of Apocalypse Now, and I didn't didn't get it really, but I remember watching it. And my dad been like, "Oh, that Marlon Brando and all that, and like and all this trippy colours and like it was really overwhelming." And the yeah. things that stand out at the end is when they kill the the cow or they kill the bull, and it just you see it slicing through, and then it ends, and I'm sure that. It, because originally they, they, they took it out. Well, do you know the? There's been three versions of Apocalypse Now. There's Apocalypse Now Redux and the Final Cut. It just came out like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm listening to the commentaries and read everything about it. And I remember him saying that see the big building where Brando is. Um, they'd rigged that to explode, but that kind of goes against the script because uh, Willard calls off the air raid. So originally, over the end credits, it was blown up and it was this big spectacle. But Coppola says take it out because. That doesn't go against because he left it basically. He like just killed him. That was it. Yeah, I'm sure I remember. Unless I'm imagining it, that I seen the explosion and it was just really quiet. And then the credits were rolling. All you heard was like next on BBC Two and like oh, it's fucking pure traumatic. But I remember that. Anything else I watched? Like, <coughs> Big, Big Lebowski. Uh, oh yes, man, what a movie! It's like my favorite movie of all time. It's insane. Like, so it is like, it's like almost the perfect movie as far as I'm concerned. Do you know what I mean? Like soundtrack, unreal. acting. The direction, just everything about it. I want he's my own because I'll sit here and talk all day about the Big Lebowski. So I'm amazing, not, I won't, but <laughs> I could. You know I mean? That was definitely one of them. And the uh, old brother with art there was an our Cohen brothers we had, mm-hmm. uh, and also Royal Tenenbaums. That was one we had. Oh, uh, brilliant brilliant movie. movie. So it was like, but he was he was good. Like my dad, quite he didn't, quirky, quite quite quirky taste. Definitely, but he he was good because he wouldn't say right, uh, you need to watch this and give us something highbrow. He sort of always knew how to gauge our attention span and the age we were at with. What else would be watching but mm-hmm. and then that and it's like rocky four and just anything like shawshank Do all these films? rocky four is like the worst good movie no. like <laughs> if, if you were to actually like objectively just watch rocky four you would be like that's such a pile of shit like Aye. there's like so many months there's like, three montages yeah, like some of them are like they 10 milk minutes it, man mm-hmm. the bit in the, the lamborghini's ridiculous i mean it's literally like him and lights flashing past his head but you get that so no easy way out. Just goes and drives a motor, but it's so such a strange movie, but so good, man. And everybody that you talk to for like that generation, like the sort of nineties, eighties, sort of the like and you forget that the first two movie. you forget that the first two Rocky movies were like in the mix for Oscars and stuff Aye, like that. Like by the time you get to four. <laughs> and <laughs> people were calling him they were calling him the next brand though. Like critics were saying that because he was so Aye. nuanced and it was such a great film. But then it's just pure pleasure. It's pure visceral, like 
pure American dopamine, like just right in front of you. And you're seeing, you're seeing like James Brown's coming down, like bobbing the head. And like, I remember like seeing Drago and like, as I think it was a quote and Stallone was like, right, I don't want to look like a boxer. Is I want to look like a bodybuilder. I want this to be like the most heightened version of like the film. And you see them, they're all diced and they're training in the woods and they're training, run up the hill and... I remember seeing it like afterwards, like getting my bra to put his hands in my feet and doing sit-ups and all that. Just this wee guy, he's like, you got you charged up. And there's all to be said for that. Mate. I think that's the thing with Rocky Four. When you say if you were to watch it now objectively, you'd be like, this is not the best movie ever. But I think it's because the first time we watched it, we weren't able to watch it objectively because as a kid, you're just drawn into the pure. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to just circle back to you when you're talking about things like Tenenbaums, like Big Lebowski and stuff like that. We've obviously mentioned previously, um, you know, th- that kind of like surreal edge that you want to have for like anger young men. Do you think mm-hmm. growing up being fans of these kind of like like quirky, almost kind of like surrealist movies has brought that to your work? Uh, de- definitely. I think you, you wouldn't make a film if you'd never seen one. Do you mean so you can't help but draw upon it? You're not mm-hmm. trying to steal stuff. But I think definitely having that, that sort of not taking the the beaten path or not taking the obvious choice or just having the sort of slightly offbeat dark but funny in the mixture of tone i think as yep. well because i mean tenenbaums has got a suicide scene it's got some of the funniest one-liners ever it's like romantic oh, it's got beautiful slow motion it's in the same, same way like life aquatic and budapest hotel mm-hmm. and all these that types of things amazing. they're also like visually quite anderson it's got the it. new one as well isn't it what is it something paris or something uh, French dispatch. Fresh, no, right. So his are always quite visually striking as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so that's pretty cool that you're quoting them as, you know, influences after having that chat was because you can actually like draw the line to the, you know, the influence that that's then had on your work as well, which I think is quite cool. Like I know when people talk about, you know, their, their work, they want to like talk about how original and unique and all these things are. But I think everybody's influenced when, when it comes to the art and their creativity. Yeah. And I think like, being able to like acknowledge and recognize where those come from is something that makes like good artists even better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm glad that when we're talking about it, that's the kind of like lines that you're drawing because they make like perfect sense in terms of the conversation. Uh-huh. That we're Has there ever been a Scottish movie like that? Do you think? It's sort of quirk, uh-huh. like sort of surreal. And Lynn Ramsey's probably the, she's like the most poetic. I would say like Scottish filmmaker, someone who pushes like. Have you seen Ratcatcher? No, I've not seen film? Ratcatcher. No. I've not seen it either. I've heard about it though. It's really, really it. good. It's set like during a, a binge strike in Stephen Glasgow. Stephen Gordon, that's on it. Is he in Ratcatcher? Stephen Gordon. I'm not sure. Shells out Bob. No, I mean, maybe he is, but that's it was a good few years ago, right, it was like okay. the 90s. But uh, it has a scene where, like, so it's set in the, the binge strike, and it has this scene where a wee boy's got a pet rat, and all these boys want to bring it down that are bullying him, and the wee boy's like quite simple, and he takes his birthday balloon and he ties it to the rat. And lets it float off, and then it cuts the the rat in outer space, landing on the moon. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> it's surreal, but even though it's like this really dark and realistic version yep. of Glasgow, it's done in such a, a beautiful way. So there are like she's probably the the, uh, the kind of most like cinematic Scottish director. Like, Shallow Grave had a a bit of a, like comedic sort of dark edge to it, even though it wasn't necessarily kind of like surrealist in a lot of places. No, but definitely. Danny Boyle, had that kind of like humour to it, even if that's the right way to describe it, sort of thing. So. In terms of like your influences and like you know stuff that got you here, you were mentioning uh, in the the press pack, following or, or at least trying to follow a similar path to guys like uh, Peter Jackson, who uh, what was his one? It was bad uh, taste. Bad taste was mm. again his own sort of independent sort of labour of work that then 
One's just an absolutely insane career. Uh, and there was somebody else you mentioned that also was like, oh, I have seen that as well. Um, but I kind of remember. But it was a summer thing. There was somebody else who had again... Christopher Nolan, though. Might, might have been... Following he made. Um, I possibly. Linklater made Slacker. I'm trying to think of other examples. Mm -hmm. I think it was Linklater that you gave them the example. It's like these are two like huge, worldwide, world renowned artists, Oscars and all, you know, nominations and all sorts that have went through this sort of journey that you're hopefully going to, you know, follow in their footsteps, sort of thing. Like, but I don't, I don't know. Is that is that like a a kind of like tried and tested method to like break into the industry? Is that what a lot of directors do? Start with like you know, passion projects that mm. are about their interest and their wants that then break them in, or is is it, is it more traditionally like an academic route that you were talking about where people study and go for there? I think it can be anyone, and that's that's mainly kind of what I was saying about academics in terms of it gets you locked in a certain way you need to do things, mm -hmm. but there's been all sorts, like they, I think you basically take however you can get it, so I think Tarantino for Reservoir Dogs, he'd made a, a feature film on his own called my best friend's birthday, I think there's snippets of it on, on YouTube. Made it all himself in like eight millimeter black and white. Right. But then he says like he spent like three years on it every weekend on film, um, renting film, renting a camera, working with actors. And he said by the end of three years he wanted to cry because it was a piece of shit, he said, and he, he hated it. And he says, Well, what am I gonna do? <clears throat> so he wrote another script and um he basically had Reservoir Dogs ready to go in a similar fashion. And he went like that, I'm just gonna make this myself because I'm sick of sending my stuff. I, he had already wrote true romance, sent it out, got nothing mm -hmm. back. I'm sick of this, I'm just going to make it myself. And his mate, Lawrence Bender, who's a producer, was like, no, this is a great script, let me show up about. So you eventually get financing for, from it. But he would have went out and made it himself. So I think yeah. if you want to make the film, how are you going to get it done? If you can get financing, that's amazing. If not, then how else are you going to do it? So mm -hmm. Christopher Nolan, he shot it over weekends, black and white, used available light, all these things. And Peter Jackson, he, I think it's all about like, what can you do with it? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't try and make a hole. Don't try and play their game. Like, how do you maximize it? Like I say, it's camera movement. If you can't get polished visuals, if you can't get great lighting, um, then just do something else. So don't just sit and mope and say, if I had the money, I would have done this. Because no, when they're sitting in the cinema watching it, nobody gives a fuck. You can't give them a caveat before the film. Aye. They're going to engage with it and then and, and get into that escapism or they'll know. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Aye. What about Kevin Smith? Do you like Kevin Smith? I mean, he made, what did he make clerks and... Works. overnight and oh, on credit actually. cards or whatever no. like that was i mean i think he, he said he was inspired by slackers and i think I, i'm not a, like a huge fan of his other films but i think the act of what he did was like very impressive and mm -hmm. he said like look i'm great at dialogue i can write i could do that i could write part between these guys and just mm -hmm. set a camera up and what do we have um so that was definitely an inspiration the act of it uh-huh mm -hmm. that's cool man because it's kind of like I look at these types of things like we're talking about like Graham and, and a lot of the sort of emerging Scottish sort of talent in the creative industries. It's very punk. Mm -hmm. It's all very like, and I think this is something that we'll see more and more because as we're talking about like the accessibility, but it's not even just the accessibility, like hearing that you like put a PC together using YouTube tutorials, like you couldn't do that. 10 or like 20 years ago. Uh, Peter Jackson I mean? didn't have to do that, I don't imagine. Uh-huh. No, he was making like masks in his mum's oven and all that. And like he was like, <laughs> he was a, I mean, he was making, see when I think about what he did for Bad Taste, it doesn't get spoke about enough. Like he was building like uh, cranes for his camera at Timber. Mm -hmm. like he built Steadicams and he was over in New Zealand. Like he did, he was just doing this because he was a, a genius when it came to like miniatures and all that. But I think you're right in terms of it being like punk. And I think about, there's been certain trends in film 
So they talk, I don't know if you heard like Heaven's Gate, have you heard of that film? And it's like, everyone says it's like the notorious film that ended like the auteur era in Hollywood because it was this huge expensive film over budget and they mm-hmm. were listening to this great director and the studios were like, nah, fuck that. You're not getting that budget anymore and we're going to clamp down. And then you got like all these action films. When you look at like today's period and you think like, what's the most popular films of the day? Like the Marvel and the sort of superhero films. Yeah, mm-hmm. Not to shit on them because I know people like love them and like if people have oh. an appetite for them, fair play. But maybe what you're getting on the other side is maybe people will be drawn to sort of maybe you're not going to get a 10 million pounds do you mean but you're going to get this like raw story mm-hmm. um you're going to get these individual voices coming through again maybe you're going to get this renaissance of independent cinema but you just don't know I like a reaction to the homogeny of like 19 captain america movies i like some of them as well so mm-hmm. again not to shit on them like i but it's eh, but i i their reaction to kind of like the prog rock are like I, movies aren't they they're like the the sort of i blandness of the mainstream has got to be counteracted by the aye, sort of punkiness of other artists who are like that. That's no for me. Respect it, but here's what I'm doing sort mm-hmm. of thing. Did you ever consider TV? Because like that renaissance that you're talking about, or that's kind of like mentioned there, like it's kind of happened in TV, hasn't it? Like they've kind of went away for like these big huge movie productions and starting to plow the money into like more like artistic you know like longer form and and i think that there's been many examples of how that's been amazing i mean like 15 years ago you would not have got hollywood actors in like tv shows to the extent you know nicole kidman's day and you know whatever it is with reese witherspoon like they're two massive hollywood actresses working on like a bbc project the the lakes thing with the the lassie that's in hands made tale and all and you're like i 10 15 years ago that level of like talent wouldn't be available in a sort of tv sense i think they can be great i think the biggest problem with tv if if money's coming in then there's going to be a lot of stuff made and they're going to say right we want the next big hit the problem with tv is like sometimes it's just a great hook and they get a great first season a great first episode then like can you keep it going Mm -hmm. and it doesn't go anywhere that's my only my only problem i love like tv and love the great series the same as everyone else Mm -hmm. but i think for me i I did do a bit of tv I, i did like um, work experience for the BBC for a bit and um in, in Glasgow and then I'd, I was part of like a scheme called The Network and that was in 2016 it was quite prestigious like all over the UK and it was like 50 people chosen out of th- a thousand applicants so it was like oh this is great maybe this will lead to work up in um the BBC mm-hmm. but even after doing a month's work experience for obviously for no money and then doing The Network I was seeing people down south all getting jobs at the back end, and I still couldn't get in like the runner's pool that's, that's not even like a runner's job that's, and i thought what's going on like there's mm-hmm. just so few resources and i think that was part of the reason i made the film because like this tv avenue isn't going to work like right because right. what they say to me they give you like a meeting on your last day it's like a kind of careers advice uh, uh, careers advice and they're like um what do you want to do and i was like write and direct and it's like well you need to write and direct that's pretty much what she said and i don't think it was brutal i think she was just being honest like you don't, there's no apprenticeship for that here you don't come in and say you're going to direct the next river city or anything if that's what you wanted to do but the big question when i went to that the network all these cv clinics they do was like are you willing to move are you willing to move and i think there are more resources down south but i think even if you did want to start on tv I know people that are doing it and maybe get doing researchers job but for me that just wasn't the avenue and I, I chose filmmaking yeah i know a girl who did the film and tv study and did really well and i think left for london to go and i think it was in the the x factor or one of these that she was involved in and she thought she was going down for like 
a job and like spent six weeks like running about fetching coffees and was just like no straight back Dumped. up the road um so I, it's definitely like a big commitment to make that sort of change in life and then if you get down there uh, or anywhere that you happen to, whether it be somebody moving to LA or New York or whatever kind of hub for like this type of industry, uh-huh. but you've got to then, no, oh, sorry, fireworks. Um, ah, you've got to then understand that it still might not work out. You know, moving isn't necessarily a guarantee of any success when you make that. So I, I can get why somebody would then be like, no, do you know what? Fuck it, I'm just gonna do it myself. And I think also it's like, what's what do you want? I think. Th- are you just doing it for a job because you like the industry? Because a lot of people in these courses, like my mate was in one, he's like a real film buff, but it's a film and TV course, but not, none of them are like well-versed in like film or telly, fair enough. But I think they just like the sound of it. They like TV, mm-hmm. so maybe they could get a job in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that flies elsewhere, but up here it's like, I don't know what you need to do to get in and get a paid work. And it's like so, like so sought after. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you need to ask yourself, what do I want? Do I want to be a, a camera operator? Do I want to be a director? Like I said, a writer-director. And it's like, what do you need to do to get there? It's crazy that those opportunities are not here in Glasgow when, like, a mile and a half that way we've got the BBC building and, like, the Channel 4 and, you know, a mile and a half that way we've got the STV building quite and stuff lot, like that. You, you know hear what I mean? quite like, a lot that they lean heavily quite on sort of creatives and shots and, like, they do sort of want people to do quite a lot of stuff for free and yeah. that sort of, like, shooting and writing will put it out on our platforms i think there's exposure well i and, and i hate that see when it's like oh it'll be good exposure for you you're like but doesn't exposure doesn't fucking put fit in my belly you know, know what i mean being like, exposed and, by like producing and presenting your content whereas actually now you've put yourself in a position where as you say you've clearly feel like you've got something to say that's not just about oh, i just want to be in the industry as you were saying you've mm-hmm. you clearly have like something that you want to say in your work and i the best way to do that is after your own back that's I think so. I think one of the problems up here as well, it's the same with film. They'll say X amount was spent and so we're investing X amount in TV up here. We're investing X amount in film. But then what that that equals is they don't leave anything behind. So maybe they'll, they're going to film like eggheads up here and they'll rent a studio, but all they're doing is renting space. They're not like doing apprenticeships. They're not like saying, right, so mm-hmm. then we're going to, you need to have like, and it's the same if they build a studio. I think there's talks of like Glasgow or Edinburgh, they're going to build a studio. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean anything if it's just a space for people to rent and get tax breaks. If like Avengers come here and you maybe get I maybe like catering will get some done off it. Yep. And you can say, look how well film's doing. Mm-hmm. But you can't lay claim to that unless you're generating jobs or you can get some and I don't know how I'm saying that as if I could put the world to right, but unless you're saying, right, you now can teach them and you can then bring it on and there's structure involved, unless you're saying here's how people can, like I said, pay their bills. But it seems to be either get paid a lot to do something that's really, really like a very niche thing in TV or film, yeah, or yeah. you're not getting there at all. You're going to be like starving. Uh, uh, even get I, Indiana Jones came whatever six eight weeks ago, and I the city council got a pretty hefty bump, I'm sure, and same as Batman and all these things and the future productions. But did did these events, did these productions have? like lasting meaningful impact on the people in this country who work in that profession mm-hmm. I, I don't know that it did you know what I, I, mean? I don't think so and like from what i've seen in film it's like just to say you come up here and they got x amount like i said with avengers but i mean you need to be i mean and to be fair i think the, one of the russell brothers is like starting a st andrews film festival because oh, right. like his daughter went to school there that could be something i mean what do you do do you come and say there's so much money would need to be done to, to give people regular work and mm-hmm. then how how is it even done like how how do you do it yeah you give like 
they, they don't have the capacity to be teaching someone as they're shooting a feature film. Do you mean they don't have that? But also to come here and just rent a space, like I said, it seems to be like the French have got a great model for it because they seem to put consistent money into it. And it's more like a government scheme and they bring great artists and they have great directors. Yeah. But I think they understand that you just need to write that off and it is an investment, it is like public funding. And they have worldwide renowned cinema as a result. Probably. You know what I mean? Like canned. French cinema is, you know, probably one of the top three or four that you would mention if you were like, like name me worlds, you'd be like Hollywood, you know, Bollywood, France, you 100%. know, maybe like Korea and stuff like that is, you know, that has evolved over the last sort of 10, 15 years, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, so like in terms of getting angry young men sort of moving, like with the types of constraints we're talking about in terms of, you know, access and whatever else, like did you ever try and like, have it funded or any of these types of things? Did you run into issues or did you just make the decision? Like, and I'm probably want to anticipate your answer here because your answer to everything has been, I just went and did it myself. Um, but <laughs> is that the case here as well? Or was that something you explored? Well, I have, and the thing is I've, I've, I've had knockbacks. I mean, I've had knockbacks for jobs and tried to get into TV and trying to do like funding jobs. But my, my outlook and the reason it was a feature and not a short was, so say these like, say you got like a short film scheme in Scotland so you get your idea together and you pitch it to them or you send them the email um then you wait maybe like maybe two three months for a response then if you're lucky enough you'll get shortlisted into maybe 20 applicants then you'll go through workshops in a few months then maybe out of that six will get picked if you if you're lucky and if you get to that stage then it'll start to get made then you're sort of workshopping it again getting a producer on board and then you make your short however long that takes, then you edit it, then you take it to the festival circuit. So you're already talking maybe like two years. See when you put it like that, making a feature and the time it would make a short that you think is this manageable, doable thing in the typical funded way. Yep. It's not, I mean, it's not that much longer. And that was my, that was my mindset that the time it would take me to make a legit short if I could even get in, which I don't think I would, that just go and make the feature. But it all comes down to if this then yields a result. Because if it's all well and good saying I've done it myself, I did this, but see if it doesn't yield anything, it doesn't make some sort of mm -hmm. progress or that doesn't do the festivals, then you're sort of like, well, but fingers crossed it will. But I this the sort of funding route, I just thought I've done I've done some applications, but you're gonna have to do this on your own and kind of show them, give yeah. them something, like give them a calling card if that's what it is. Maybe that's all it needs to be. Like I can do this, I'm capable of doing it with no funds. Mm -hmm. Imagine what I could do with some funds. Yeah. Uh -huh. Where do know. you get that sort of confidence to do that? Like that's not that's not a normal thing in the west of scotland to, to be like do you know what they don't if i don't get through the normal path i'll just date myself i'll just like that's a that's a lot of energy you know what i mean and real positive energy as well but do you know what in your upbringing where that sort of comes from because that's got to be a huge part of the inspiration for you no definitely i think like i said my dad was a real he was, he was a, like a really smart guy and he, and he was like showed me a lot of films so i was always brought up around it and thought I didn't see it as like I'm Scottish and they're American. Do you know what I mean? I just thought, oh, these are films. Yep. As we all did, I'm sure we're all kind of American and like Western culture. So, and then my my mum was very very supportive of everything I did. So I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm quite quite deluded in that sense. And I thought, why not? Do you know what I mean? So maybe that maybe that's why. Um, but I also just think it's like desperation. Like I really like love it, and I really want to be part of it. And it's like, how do I get there? So that's my driving force. I just yeah. I, I love like cinema. I want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And so like, just wrapping up, like what's what's the plan like what you're going to do when you've went through all this and self-edited and self-composed and you've got like your are you baby now, are you now self-promoting yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're in publicist as well like just did a youtube I know, video obviously, <laughs> in, the, in the press pack which, which we've sort of 
pointed back to a few times when we, you mentioned guys like Peter Jackson and that. I think the the path that they had followed was that they did their own labour of projects, and then I think they went to like film festivals and stuff like that. So I, I'm assuming that's going to be at least part of what you're going to try to do next. That's the the ideal scenario would be if it's submitted to Glasgow. The ideal would be you get a a premiere in Glasgow in March when the film festival is, and then you hope that someone sees potential in what it is and offers to like collaborate or fund the next thing. So that's mm -hmm. that's best case scenario. Um, if it doesn't do the festivals, I'll put it online and I'll I'll use it as like a calling card to hopefully get funding for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And then, but I'm I'm praying for the festival because to put it on in, in your hometown and and get it in front of an audience, I think would be amazing. So ah, this is what YouTube's like cha totally changing the game because you've got guys like if you look at there's a couple of like American comedians, but there's uh, one in particular. I think is it Mark Normand and that guy had been like on the cusp of a Netflix special like five six times and it just got overlooked. And he was like, fuck it, do you know what? I'm just going to put it on YouTube. And it's at like 20 million views. Really? And he's made like 500 grand for it. So you're like, he's now going, right, now I will fund my next project mm -hmm. with that. Like, yeah. So YouTube's kind of changed the game. He still has options. He still have options to monetize the content. I, But I, I've got to be honest with you, I think I would love for what I've seen in the movie so far and what I've heard and just to speak to yourself and also just absolutely loving the GFT. I think I would really enjoy the opportunity to go and see the movie in, in that type mm -hmm. of environment, especially given how local it is to, you know, that event, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I wish you all the luck with that. And, Thank you. You know, are there other film festivals in, in and around the country that you're going to maybe take a swing at as well? Is it just Glasgow you're concentrating on just now? That's the, that's the main one just now. I think if it gets into there, then that'll be a good sort of barometer for how well we could do elsewhere. And the dominoes start to fall at that point. Hopefully, but my kind of mindset, which might be a limiting one, is like, if you can't make it in your hometown, then I mean, what chance you got? I think Glasgow needs to be, it needs to do Glasgow, I think, and because mm -hmm. I think we could bring a great crowd there and people who are maybe not art house cinema goers, they yeah. can come and enjoy it, maybe get a feel for the place. But I think it, aye, that would be the dream. Absolutely. And what about that next project that you would hopefully get funding for? Is that in the pipeline? Do you know what I've that's going to be like? Three or four, I've got three or four ideas, and then once I kind of get speaking to anyone, and, and or if not, then I'll start developing it. But mm -hmm. it, it will be the sort of next day, the next stage will dictate the next steps i think mm -hmm. Aye. well mate it's been a pleasure it has. thank you i've been brilliant really man. Been a great chat. Me. like not at all man and welcome back anytime thank you and we can date help promote it or anything like just Thanks. let us know man Aye, the free tickets will be appreciated genuinely well. was like <laughs> press <laughs> genuinely was like watching the trailer like pure this is like something i've never seen before particularly Good. in like a scottish context and i it was, I mean, I literally, when I emailed you like 30 seconds after watching the trailer oh, no, and was like, dude, we've been following each other a while, I've just seen your trailer, like, and you come sort of thing. Um, it was that impactful to me and then I was literally like, pure dude, check this guy's trailer out by the way, you know what I mean, no, like, within seconds. So I think there's definitely something there, man, and Hopefully. I really, really wish you all the best mm -hmm. of luck with it.